0: Amen. Good morning again. How's everyone? Fantastic. Well, it's Christmas time. We're happy about that because it's that special time of year where we start to expect certain things, right? We, we expect things like hot cider and eggnog. We expect ornaments everywhere and the front lawns of our neighbors transformed with statues and weird inflatable things and fake snow all over the place. We expect the color red anywhere the eye can see. We expect ribbons all over the place. We expect Christmas carolers. And of course, peppermint themed everything. You know, we just want peppermint no matter what it is. I want peppermint roast beef today, you know. (laughs) We get excited about the Christmas programs that our churches and, and our children's schools put on especially the, the children's school programs that are complete with little styrofoam donkeys and those cotton ball beards that are worn by brave little actors and actresses and they sing to us about the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago. Now, one absolute staple of the season is the three wise men and their search for what lay beneath the star that they saw in the east. Um, as we've told you many times in uh, the pensiero households, one of our little Christmas traditions is we get our nativity all set up, but the wise men are absent because they're traveling from the east. And so at any given time in our homes, you can open up a cabinet somewhere and all of a sudden there's little wise men in there because they're making their journey along into uh, wherever the nativity is. Now, sometimes, like we misplace those little, little wise men, sometimes the wise men are misplaced. They're misrepresented uh, when we're retelling the Christmas story. But when we come to the Bible, God's inspired word, and when we see these men searching after the Messiah we can find incredible inspiration and incredible application for our own lives as believers, as well as those of you who may not be Christians, those of you who are still searching for answers in this life. We can learn from these men. This morning we're going to be looking at the account of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there and follow along. Matthew is the only gospel that speaks to us about these interesting fellows. And though there are, in one sense, not very many details, we do find many insights from this unusual group of travelers. And so this morning, to Christians, I say that you can discover the love and the glory and the joy that these wise men found in Jesus. And to any of you who are not yet believers, you aren't a Christian, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that is the only thing that can save you from sin and an eternity in hell. If that describes you then I say that your search for answers can be ended this morning by discovering Jesus, your Messiah, who is God with us. Let's pray as we begin our study. God, thank you again for this morning. You are great, Lord, and you're worthy of our praise. And we've sung to you, we've sung about you, Lord. We've come here to uh, spend time together as a family of believers. We've come here to worship you. And God, we want to hear from you now because you have told us in your word that you want to speak to us. And so what we ask God is that you would, by your spirit, speak to us uh, the truth of your gospel, that you would speak to us powerful things. And Lord, that for each and every one of us here, no matter where we're at in our lives, no matter where we're at with you, I pray, God, that you would speak to us and that you would open up our hearts and you would explain to us how much you love us And the kind of life that you have waiting for us. We love you. We praise you in your name we pray. Amen. And so Matthew chapter 2 begins in verse 1 by saying, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, like our favorite Christmas programs, this passage gives us a wonderful setup in just a few words. We're given a context for what we're looking at. We're given a backdrop to the story, and we're given the cast of characters. We even receive receive some intrigue here. But academically speaking, if you were just parsing out and listing out the facts, we really receive very little detail about these men from the East. Because we don't know exactly where they're from. We don't know their names. We don't even know how many of them there were. They brought three gifts, but it never says that there were three wise men. We don't even know what they really are. Because the word in the original language for wise men is the word magos, which is where we get the word magi. You've probably heard that term. We also get the word magic and magician from that word. And so there's a little bit of a difference depending on what you're looking at here. I mean, your different Bible translations will even differ slightly on what exactly these fellows' occupation were. Now, most of your Bibles will say what we read a moment ago, wise men. Uh, Another translation will list them as astrologers. Another calls them scholars. If you look at the Strong's Concordance of the Greek language, the word is defined this way. It says... Oriental scientists, or by implication, magicians. And so their exact occupation isn't really that clear. We're not really sure what these guys were all about. But their exact occupation is not that important, because this morning we will see that they can represent a variety of people, a variety of us here today. Because perhaps you're someone who loves science. You love to study the earth and the solar system. I remember in high school, I I had a space science class and during one of the units there for a couple of weeks, I had to wake up in the middle of the night or very early in the morning and chart out the visible stars in the night sky, which in the valley comes to the ground total of six. So... You know, it wasn't that difficult of an assignment, but, you know, we had to wake up and we had to look for specific constellations and we had to look and see their movement and, you know, and all this other stuff. And so maybe that's someone like you. You're someone who enjoys learning about the solar system. You enjoy thinking about light years. You like to debate with your friends whether Pluto's a planet or not. You're somewhat of an astronomer or perhaps this morning you're more like a scholar, You're someone who loves history. You're intrigued with the decisions that human beings have made throughout time and you're watching all those shows on cable about the end of the world, about the predictions that previous cultures you know, have made about the future. Never before has anyone ever cared about what the Mayans thought until now. You know, We're wondering, what did they think about 2012? Oh no, we better watch the History Channel and see what they had to say. You're wondering how it's all gonna turn out for mankind. You're wondering what the answer is going to be for culture and for human history and you're you're looking to history for that insight or perhaps you're more like a philosopher someone who simply wants to know the answers of life you want to know how to make it through the tough times that we're living in you want to know how to live a life that is meaningful a life that is effective and a life that is worthwhile you are wondering how to find the joy and the happiness that you know must exist somewhere you want that. You're someone who's seeking wisdom. You're seeking guidance in this life. You're kind of like a philosopher. And maybe, though, you're just not any of those things. You're not really an astronomer. You're not really a scholar. You're not really a philosopher. Maybe you're just someone who just wants to follow God. That's your desire. You know the Lord and you love Him and you just want to follow Him in the way that He has led you. You want to walk in the light and in the Word that He has provided for us. You're earnestly seeking Him, And so in a way, these men from the east can represent many of us this morning. They were people. They were men who were looking for answers. They were looking for hope and for salvation and for wisdom. They were following after this God who had revealed himself to them. And they found that which they searched for. At the end of this passage, they discover what they are looking for. They found Jesus Christ. And so no matter who you are today, no matter what sort of state that you're in, no matter what sort of life that you have lived or life that you face, no matter your past, no matter your strength or your weakness, no matter how successful you are or how desperate you are for every single person listening to this message today, the answer to any question in your life is Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this passage. Look at verse two. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Now, as Bible students, what we see here is that these men from the east had some level of revelation given to them. This is a remarkable thing. They somehow had received the message that God was going to send a king to the Jewish people, this people that were far away from their own country, that God was going to send this specific nation a king, and that that king, whom God was sending, was worthy of their worship, worthy of their praise. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. Because what a comfort it is to know that the God of creation is faithful to reveal himself to mankind. That God will not leave any person without an opportunity to discover him and to know him personally. How did these guys know about the Jews and their scriptures? We don't know. We're not given that information. They live in some other place. We don't know where. We don't know how far it was. They're men from the East, no connection to Jewish society, no connection to the Old Testament. And somehow they receive this revelation from God, this promise from God that I will send a king and he will be worthy of your worship. He is the answer. We don't know how far they traveled. We don't know what books they had read. But one night they were there searching the night sky for answer. And a light rose which began leading them to Jesus Christ, the promised king. And how wonderful it is to know that though they knew so little, they were so drawn to this Jesus. They wanted to see him. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to worship him. Let's pause for a moment and talk about this star very briefly. Because as Christians, if you're a Christian here this morning, then you have been given the privilege of carrying the message of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. We are his messengers. Now the question is this. Do we remember that Jesus is enticing? He is a desirable Savior. More importantly, let's phrase it this way. Do we live out our faith in such a way that it actually draws people to our King like this star drew the wise men? This light that we are shining, does it attract people or does it repel them? Have we projected a Jesus who brings hope? Have we projected a Jesus that actually has answers? Have we projected a Jesus that has strength and that has love? Have we projected those things as his messengers? Or have we colored that light in such a way that it is no longer desirable to the people around us? Are we shining a Jesus that says, you're not welcome, you're not loved, you need to clean yourself before you can come to God because that is not the light that Jesus has given us as his messengers. We look at this star in Matthew chapter 2 and there was something different about it. There was something powerful and attention-grabbing. When these men from the east looked into the sky, they saw this star rise. And it was something that caused them to leave their own country, to leave their lives behind in a sense, and to go the distance to find the answer to what this star was leading them to. And so even though our focus this morning is to look at the wise men and to learn from them, we must also remember that as believers, we are to shine like stars in the heavens as well. Matthew chapter five, verse 16 says this. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. That is the light that we should be shining but now let's return to looking at these wise men and see exactly what kind of men that they were. Because here in verse 2, we get to look at their hearts. We get to see about a little bit of their personalities. Because they came to worship the king. Now clearly, they weren't sure what they were going to find. You know, They, they, they didn't know exactly what they were getting themselves into. Their journey was one of faith. It was one of adventure. But they knew that at the end of the line, they would worship and praise the one that had been promised to them. The one that the light was supernaturally leading them to. They had such an expectation and such an anticipation of God's faithfulness. This God of the Jewish people who had spoken to them and revealed himself to them and shined his light for them. They had such an anticipation. They had such an expectation that, yeah, we're going to follow this star. And we're going to find this king. He's going to be there at the end of the line. And they come to Herod and the people of Jerusalem. And they ask them where the king is. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. Now here we find some very interesting contrast. Because think about this from a Jewish perspective. These Gentiles from the east have heard this prophecy they see this star, and it fills them with all these things that we've just talked about. All of this anticipation, all of this expectation, all of this worship. And then this star supernaturally led them to Jerusalem. And now we see Herod and the people of Jerusalem, and they hear this story. And what is the response? What is their response to this incredible testimony? Is it excitement? No. No. Is it anticipation? No. Is it worship? No. No, we don't see any of those things. Their response is that they were troubled, our text says. Now that word, troubled, can be translated as agitated, or disturbed, or worried, or very upset. Not only that, but then if we were to pull out a map right now of the you know, Israel in Jesus' time, we would realize that Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. It was a three-hour walk on foot. And so these very people who are listening to the wise men talk, these Jerusalemites, no doubt would have previously heard the incredible story from the shepherds who saw the angels and heard their proclamation of Christ's birth. That could have been as much as two years earlier that Jesus was actually born. But all the same, These people in Herod's court, all of these people of Jerusalem would have heard this story. How the group of shepherds were watching their sheep. And suddenly the sky was filled with angels and the heavenly hosts. And those angels gave them a message. And they said, your deliverer is here. And they sang the song of heaven. And then they went to Bethlehem to the place where the angels had directed them. And those shepherds went to the very stable and saw the baby himself which heaven had opened up to reveal to them. Do you think for one moment that those shepherds kept that story to themselves? Do you think for one moment that that account had not reached the surrounding cities? Just six miles away, Jerusalem was, with the rulers and all of the people and the temple and all of this. Do you think that people hadn't heard what had happened? That's one thing. And now we're a little farther away from that event. And these men from the east, having nothing to do with Israel, having nothing to do with God's promise to His nation, as it were. These foreigner Gentiles from some unknown land, they show up and they say, we've heard from your God. Your God spoke to us, and He sent us a star, and He sent us a light. And by His word we have come here, step by step. And we want to see your king. I mean, this should blow our minds. This should shatter anything that we, you know, could conceive. And what do we see Herod and the people of Jerusalem, God's people, doing? They were troubled, worried, agitated, very upset. Because despite being occupied by Rome, despite being controlled by Rome... Herod and the people were not looking for their Messiah. They weren't interested in this Messiah that God had promised them. They hadn't been thinking about that prophecy that the Lord, the many prophecies that God had given them in their scriptures. In fact, when these wise men come to the court of Herod and to God's people in the city of Jerusalem, and these wise men ask them, Hey, where's your king going to be born? because your God told us that it's happened and we're here to see Him, where is your Messiah going to be born? And Herod and the people don't even know. They don't know. They have to get some other people together to tell them, look at verse four. It says, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and you, O Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people israel this is so interesting and this is so sad because god had so plainly laid this out for the nation of israel this prophecy when it was read in herod's court was 700 years old for 700 years they've been told bethlehem is the place where your deliverance will come from bethlehem is where the messiah will be born 700 years before the wise men stood in Herod's court, the Lord had given them the very site, the very place where the Savior would be born. And so what would you think? You'd think that Bethlehem would have a huge tourist population. I mean, honestly, you'd think that people would just be camped out there. I pointed out first service that, think about our own culture. Think about the Grateful Dead and how many people followed them around. They didn't even write good music <laughs> and people are leaving their lives. They're leaving their families. Oh, we just want to follow Jerry and the boys. And for 700 years, God had come to his people and he said, this is the place where your Messiah is going to be born that I've been promising you for thousands of years We'd expect people to be camped out there. We'd expect people to be hanging around all the pregnant women. Do you feel like there's anything unusual about this pregnancy? Has anything weird, you know, emanated from your stomach? You know, any any proclamations? Are there angel bodyguards like hanging around your house? That's what we would expect Now certainly after the shepherds from Luke chapter 2 got back into town, you'd think Bethlehem would have this huge influx of people looking for their deliverer. After a group, not one guy seen a UFO or a crop circle, after a group of shepherds said, we were all hanging out, the sky filled with countless number of angels, they sang to us, they told us that the Messiah was born, they told us where we could find him in Bethlehem, we went there, the baby was there, there was something about this baby that caused us to fall down and worship him, I want to tell you about this, and now you'd think that Bethlehem would be the center of activity in all israel you'd think there'd be tons of people there just camped outside of mary and joseph's home but we don't see that at all we don't see that at all we see a very different reaction from herod and the people of jerusalem now herod was a vile and wicked disgusting man okay There's we understand his response because, you know, he was not about to resign his power or his wealth or his position. He was a murderer. He was a monster and he was an abject rejection of God. So Herod's response makes sense. We understand where he's coming from, in a sense. But what about the rest? The people of Jerusalem also agitated, also very upset. What about these people? What about God's people? What about their reaction? What about you this morning? Christian and non-believer alike. What is your response to the knowledge that Jesus Christ is alive? And that he is king. And that he is with us. What is your response? What is your response to the promises that God has made. That he will rapture away his church imminently. What is your response to the promise that God has made that he will one day come again and judge this world? What is your response? Is it anger? Herod here was angry. He wanted to lash out. He wanted to destroy and hurt anyone who threatened his corrupt way of life. That was his response. Is it disbelief? The people of Jerusalem On one hand, they knew God had promised a Messiah. Yeah, they they knew. Yeah, you know, in our scriptures, God has promised a Messiah, but they didn't really believe they didn't care. They weren't watching. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning, but you have lost faith in God. You don't really care about the promise of his coming. You don't really care the kind of life that he's made for you. You don't really care about the plan he has for you and for your family. You've turned to something else for your answers. You've turned to something else for your hope and for your satisfaction and for your strength. Government, government cannot save you. Politics, politics can't save you. Your wealth, the current economy proves to you that your wealth cannot save you. It cannot satisfy you. An addiction or a pleasure or some selfishness, those things cannot save you. The people of Jerusalem were people who had received God's revelation in full to them. They had received the entire Old Testament. They had received the law and the prophets. They'd seen miracles and they'd had this amazing history of God's love. They'd seen God's faithfulness. They had the temple, but slowly and sadly, they had allowed themselves to stop caring about their faith, to stop watching for their Messiah They forgot what God had said to them in the book of Micah, where the Messiah would be born. The scribes had to quote it to them. They forgot that God desired to send them a ruler and a savior and a shepherd. They forgot something else that is very precious to us. In Malachi chapter 1, in the opening verses there, God says something so wonderful to his people just a few pages back from Matthew, if you're wondering. And it says this, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. To the believer here, whose faith has cooled. If you've left your first love. If you're someone who once followed after Jesus, but you feel far from God. To you I say, God loves you. And he has spoken to you. To those here who have never given their lives to Jesus Christ, you are not Christians, you who are outside the family of God, and therefore you are currently holding a ticket to a Christless eternity in hell. To you, I say, God loves you, and he wants to save you. To those of you who are like these wise men, people who are searching after God, people who are being led by God and trusting in his word, you know that God loves you, you know it because that is who Jesus is. We celebrate the Christmas season commemorating the birth of the son of God who is called Emmanuel, which means God with us, God with us. Now, why do we need a God who is with us? Because after creating the universe, after creating man and woman in the Garden of Eden, God came and He walked in the garden and He had a relationship with human beings. Those human beings then chose to break that relationship. They chose to reject God's relationship of love. And then they brought sin and death and suffering into the world, which is why it exists still today. You wonder why those things are happening in the world today? It's because of man's rejection of God's love in the Garden of Eden. Now, from that point forward, God came down. He saw what man and woman had done to the earth and how they had rejected him. And he said, okay, I will work a way that you might be saved. I will accomplish your salvation because you cannot accomplish it on your own. And from that point on, God has been working his plan of redemption in the lives of the people of this earth. And that plan culminated in the gift that God the Father gave to mankind, the gift of sending His Son to come and to be born, to live and to speak and to serve and to die on a Roman cross, and then three days later rise again. That is the gift that God gave the earth on the first Christmas. And now He's offered that gift freely to each and every one of us. To everyone here, God has offered you that gift of salvation to anyone who's willing to receive it. That's what the Bible says. That is what God has done. And so then if we receive that gift of salvation, and as it were, as if we unwrap it, Then we find incredible, never-ending supplies of strength and peace and guidance and direction and provision and satisfaction and love as God stays with us day by day, moment by moment. That is who the wise men were seeking. They sought Jesus Christ, who is God, with us. And Herod hated it. The Jerusalemites were indifferent about it. And the wise men were were overjoyed by it. Look at verse seven. It says, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, of course, we know that Herod's plan was not to worship the child, but to kill him. In fact, verses 16 through 18 of this chapter catalog the genocide of the male children of Bethlehem as Herod attempted to murder this baby that they were seeking and how interesting it is that King Herod believed that this child would become the Messiah. Clearly he believed that this baby that the wise men were seeking would one day rise to rule on the throne of David and having this knowledge, what did he choose? He chose to kill the babies of Bethlehem. This is shocking, startling Because how powerfully wicked the human heart is. What incredible evil human beings are capable of. And I remind the Christians here this morning of that fact, because though Jesus Christ has set us free from sin and from death, we still have to deal with what the Bible calls the old sin nature, this side of eternity. We still have to deal with those temptations and and those desires to walk away from the Lord because we have to contend against it. We have to crucify it. Why? Because the sin nature seeks to destroy. It seeks to hurt you and the people around you and your relationship with God. It desires to draw you away from God and it must be vanquished as we live out our daily lives by the Spirit. Overcoming temptation, staying in close communion with God, being sharpened by other believers, serving and loving and showing grace to those around us. We need to remember what the human heart is capable of and remember that we want to be in control by Jesus Christ. Verse 9. After listening to the king, the wise men went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Okay, now this is just cool. This is just fantastic. Picture this, please, please try to make this less sterile. We have a tendency to come to God's word and we read it and we kind of parse out the facts and we make it very sterile, but listen to what's happening here. So rewind. These guys are back in the old country somewhere. We don't know where far in the East and they're hanging out, checking the night sky. And suddenly there's some weirdo star there. It's not twinkling in the sky. It's shining down on something like a searchlight. They receive this revelation from God about a king of the Jews that will bring salvation. We don't know what other events took place, but they decide that's it. We're going after the star. We're following in what God has shown us because this is unlike anything they had ever seen. They decide to go after this star. They get their camels. They get all their stuff ready. They get their gifts. They, you know, they go on the caravan, This star that's shining on something. They want to know what it's shining on. And then they get to Jerusalem where apparently the star either led them or once they were there, it had vanished. And so then they have to go and figure out from the Jerusalemites and this weird king, they have to figure out, okay, well, where's your king going to be born? Where's this Messiah going to be born? And then they hear, okay, well, you got to go three hours over to Bethlehem. And then they say, okay, we're going to head out to Bethlehem. And they head out and suddenly the star appears to them again. And then it says it starts going before them like this. (laughs) And so it's going before them, and it's moving down the road. It's going over the hills. It finally gets into this little village of Bethlehem, goes through the streets, into Jesus' neighborhood, finally stops on one house. Bing! I mean, this is crazy. I mean, it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's almost comical. Because I start thinking about this, and I think, how fast did they have to go to keep up with this star is what I'm wondering. Uh, you, you know, I wonder how low it flew to the ground, and if it was really hot, or if it was, you know, they had to stay farther back from it, and so, you know, so they didn't singe their camels' whiskers and things like that. I wonder if it went in a straight shot and took roads, or if the thing took them off-roading over here. You know, I mean, think about this. This is incredible. But from a spiritual perspective, what an amazing testimony of how God loves the people of the earth. What an amazing demonstration of how God reaches out to human beings and draws them to himself. He comes and he reveals himself to us like a light in the sky. He speaks to us through his word and he proves his word with promises and plans and histories and wisdom. And then if we're willing to follow him, if we're willing to join in that relationship with him, he then leads us step by step by his word, by his Holy Spirit, by his grace and his power and his holiness. Why? Because he desires that we walk with him in this life. He desires that we follow with him until we finally come to the end of our journey and we meet Jesus, his son, face to face. This is the testimony that we see here. This is who God is. God who has loved us. God with us. In whom there is light and there is no darkness at all. The wise men came to the house where Joseph and Mary and Jesus were living and they were so excited. And so what did they do? They did what any good astronomer, adventurist, follower of God would do. They just went into the house yeah, we're here, so you let us this far, we're letting ourselves in. (laughs) Verse 11 says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They came and they saw the object of their search and they worshiped him. And as Christians, when we stop to evaluate our lives, when we stop to consider our faith, when we stop to examine Jesus and his word, then we should be overwhelmed at his great love for us. When we pause to look at the Lord, to turn and face his mercy and his strength, when we see his nature, when we see his character and his heart, when we see what he has done for us, when we see the kind of life that he has prepared for us to lead as laid out in the Bible bible then there should be no other response but to worship and thank god and to praise him for what a wonderful person he is the wise men were on a star search the answer to all of their questions and all of their seeking and all of their desire was jesus and the same is true for us here this morning the answer to any question that you have is jesus christ Think about the message that these men brought back to their homeland. Think about the story they had for their families of God's faithfulness and God's provision. Think of how powerful they would have been, powerfully they would have been used to tell people about this God who speaks, the God who lives, the God who shines and saves and, 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 and draws people to himself. Think of the message they carried. The passage closes with one more sweet insight about the Lord. It says in verse 12, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. God was still with them. He was still with them. He was still speaking to them. He was still leading them day after day after day. He wasn't done with these guys. He didn't get them to Bethlehem and then say, we're done here. But he went with them from that point forward. You know, in a Christmas play or Christmas program, there are a cast of characters. If this passage were our script for a Christmas program, which character currently describes you? Which do you line up with most clearly? My hope is that you are like the wise men who are being led by God each day, just in love with him, overjoyed with him, full of his cheer, full of expectancy and anticipation at God's faithfulness as he reveals more and more of himself to you and you just follow after him step by step, as he sends you out with a purpose and a mission to show love to the people around you and to bring grace and truth into the world. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you, keep seeking the Lord, walk strong in Him. Remember that God is with you today and He desires incredible things for your life. So study His Word, walk in the Spirit, speak to Him in prayer, focus on Jesus and see what God will make out of your life. Maybe this morning you're more like one of the people of Jerusalem. Jerusalem you're a Christian, you're one of God's people, but you don't really care about your relationship with God. It doesn't have much meaning to you. It doesn't have much value to you anymore. You've stopped following. You're trusting in men or wealth or something else rather than Jesus Christ. You're indulging in sin and you're giving into the pressures of this world. You see other people following after God. You see other people seeking God, but you're not going with them. You see the wise men come and say, God's leading me here and you're content to sit back while wise men seek after Jesus. You can have satisfaction today because to you, I say, God loves you personally and he knows you and he wants better for you and for your life. God wants to be with you today. He wants to be with you every day. He wants to lead you. He wants to show you His love. He wants to empower you. He wants to give your life meaning. He wants to give your life purpose and strength and joy and peace. That's what He said in His Word. That's what He's proven to you and to me. He wants you to have the same happiness and the same cheer and the same blessing that these wise men enjoyed. And He's extended to you that life today. He's held it out for you. And he says, do you want this? And you can still receive that. Even if your faith is cooled, even if you've left your first love, you can receive that life. Turn and face Jesus. Turn and face all that he is and all that he has done. Let him have your love again. Let him have your life again. And you can find satisfaction today. And finally, perhaps this morning you are not a Christian You've never invited Jesus into your heart. You've never been born again. You don't know why you came. Maybe you came out of an obligation. Maybe you came for some other reason. It doesn't matter. We don't care why you came. In your heart, you have questions. And in your heart, you have emptiness. In your heart, you're frightened. You don't know what's going on in the world. You don't know what's going on in your life. You don't know where to turn. I have a couple of things that I must tell you. First, you must know that you are a sinner in need of salvation. That is the problem with the world. That is the problem with every single person on this earth. We are imperfect. We do wrong things. We sin. And because of that sin, we inherit spiritual death, physical death, eternal death. You do not know how long you have left on this planet. No one in this room or anyone else listening knows if you are going to die today or tomorrow or ten years from now. You don't know. But if you are not a Christian, when you die, you will enter an eternity in hell unless you are saved by Jesus Christ. Hell is real. It is a place of suffering and torment where God judges sin. But you do not have to go there. It's a choice that God has given us. He says, do you want what I have? I don't want you to go to hell. God does not want anyone to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And And he says, you can choose where you spend eternity. You can choose the kind of life that you have here on the earth. God gives each of us a choice to make. We can choose to follow him. We can choose to believe that he came, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless, perfect life. He then willingly died for us. Three days later, he rose from the dead, which granted us victory over death and over sin. And you can choose to believe that truth, truth, which has been proven again and again and again, or you can choose to be like King Herod in the story and reject God and reject what he's offering you. You can choose to abandon that free gift of salvation and trust in yourself to if that's you this morning, if you're not a believer to you, I say, God loves you. He loves you and he knows you and he wants to save you. He wants to spend eternity with you in heaven and he wants to spend every day with you here on earth but he will not force that on you. You must choose the life that you desire. The Bible says this in Romans, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It says, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, if you're not a Christian and if you want the salvation and the satisfaction and the abundant life that Jesus has offered you and every other person on this planet, then we're going to give you a chance to receive that gift right now. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are. What a God of grace and love. What a God of mercy and how How much you've done, Lord, to show us how you love the people of this world. How much you've done, God, to show us that you don't want us to spend an eternity without you. You don't want us to spend life without you, Lord. You want to remove our burdens. You want to remove our sin. You want to cleanse us and be in relationship with us. God, praise you for who you are and your incredible love. Lord, we pray for the Christians here this morning, for those that are excited about you and serving you and following after you. God, strengthen them and fill them with your spirit. Stir them up to do new things and exciting things in your power, going on a mission for you, Lord, impacting the people around them. God, we pray for those Christians here whose faith has cooled, They've lost their first love. Lord, we pray that your spirit would speak to them and that you would remind them that you love them and that you want better for them. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're a Christian here this morning, but you're not following the Lord, you're content to sit back. You're content to let other people follow after God. If you're someone who is like that, but you want to turn your life around, you want to come back to Jesus and have the kind of satisfaction and the kind of purpose that he has offered to you. If that's what you want, then we want to give you a chance to receive that. If that's what you want, then raise your hand right now. God bless you. If you're someone who... God bless you. If you're someone who wants to know the power of the Lord again and the love of the Lord again... In this moment, just raise your hand. Turn and face God's mercy and his love for you. He has such a plan for your life. Anyone else? God bless both of you. And now, for the unbelievers here this morning, in a group this size, there's always someone who doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. I have to tell you that you are on your way to an eternity in hell. God has proven himself true. He has proven his word true. And he loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to be restored to him. And he wants to fill your life with meaning. He wants to remove from you the burden of your sin and the guilt of your sin. And if you're someone that wants to know Jesus Christ for the first time today, raise your hand just a few moments our service will close and this opportunity will pass. And perhaps there's someone here who desires to know the Lord. If there's anyone here that wants the Lord's mercy, just raise your hand and receive God. If you're in the fellowship hall or watching online, you raise your hand as well. I can't see you, but the Lord will see you. God loves you. He loves each and every person in this room. And his desire is that we spend a lifetime and an eternity with him. One last time. Is there anyone here? Praise the Lord. God, you are so good. And we thank you, Lord, for working in all of our hearts And Lord, if there is anyone who is not saved here this morning, we pray that you would speak to them of your love and your grace and your mercy. And God, for those who have decided to rededicate their lives to you and to turn back to you, we pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your great love and your great satisfaction today. We pray, Lord, that they would know how... Wonderful you are and how much you love them and how personally you want to be involved in their lives and how precious they are to you. God, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the two of you that want to rededicate your lives to the Lord. Please come forward at the end of our service. We want to talk with you and pray with you. It's not about, we're not going to make you do anything. We just want to encourage you and pray with you. We want to tell you that we love you and that God loves you. If you need a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. For everyone else, God bless you. God loves you. He has spoken to each and every one of you. He has offered you so much in your life. He wants you to go from this place and impact the people right around your life. We don't all have to travel around the world to tell people about Jesus. We can tell the person right next to us and God wants to use you. He wants to use you to do that work. He wants to partner with you and fill your life with that purpose and with that power. And so be encouraged because we serve a great and marvelous and loving God who cares about each of you personally. And he cares about your life today. He cares about your Sunday afternoon and your Sunday evening. He cares about everything that you're going to do from this point forward. And he's coming soon. The Lord is coming soon. And we are excited to get to the end of our journey where we get to see Jesus face to face. Amen. All right. If you need prayer, the men are going to be up front. Uh, Have a fantastic Sunday afternoon. Let's close with a song.